Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in. Listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Stand with me, if you would, please. Welcome all of you watching online. We believe today is a life-changing day. At this time, if your children are in here, they can be dismissed. I'll tell you in a moment what's going on. It's awesome. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. Today, I'll be taught the Word of God, and I boldly confess my mind is alert. My heart is receptive, and I will never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, for all of you in-house, we, we're trying something new. Uh, many years ago, I did a, some research and a survey on children in church and the growing number of young people that no longer attend church. And when I say young people, 20s and 30s, uh, and I began to get curious as to why that that might be the case and I interviewed all as many different races as I could interview and uh, it was an interesting response that in the African-American church uh, the children worshiped with their families because I asked many who were in ministry many African-American men and women in ministry they said when we were children we worshiped with our mom and dad and we learned to behave and uh, not only that, but they learned to worship, and they learned how to worship with their mo- mother and father. So we're running a little test right now, uh, having our older children in, uh, because we want them to experience worship so they don't go to children's ministry or you know nursery and then grow up, and, and they don't know how to integrate into worship as adults. So if you're put out by that at all, please understand We're not trying to make things difficult for you, but we are trying to introduce children to worship with their families. So just know that that's something that that we're working toward right now. Uh, We want our children, and you say, well, you know, they're loud. So is our music. That's why we have earplugs at the entrance. If it, and I understand, you know, I've been doing this a long time. And some people think it's too soft. Some people it's always a debate. So what we do is we offer earplugs, and you may get mad and be defiant and resist it. But the reality is that worship is, is about Jesus. It's not about our comfort or our convenience. It's about giving him glory. And so we take our eyes off ourselves. And, and some of you all who think it's too loud, you're half deaf anyway. So don't give me that excuse that it's too loud, you know. You can't hear your husband when he says, hey, honey, would you cook, huh? Or your husband, take out the trash. What would you say? But all of a sudden, the worship's loud. Give me a break. All right, now, (laughs) we're continuing a series entitled, Please Do Not Disturb. And we are so easily disturbed in a world that is in living in real time in every area, politically, spiritually, professionally, vocationally. It's just real time. Everything's so quick and happening so fast. And it's so easy to stay disturbed if all you do is pay attention to your phone, the television, current news, and all those things. So the idea was to begin this series 
helping us to learn how to navigate in a fast-paced world that is so extremely disturbing with wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and hurricanes and tornadoes and tsunamis and you name it. All of these things going on, it'd be very easy to wake up every day uh, to, to being disturbed because we, we hear disturbing things all day long. So the idea that I'm trying to get us through this and, and walk us through, and the very first thing that is most disturbing is that how we perceive ourselves. If you perceive yourself as less than, not good enough, not tall enough, not smart enough, those are disturbing opinions that you have about yourself. And, and you, have either, you can say, well, I was told these things. Well, it's not what you're told that matters. It's what you accept. If you accept someone telling you something that, that hurts you or injures your heart, you have to cope with that and deal with that because it's going to happen forever. And, uh, I, I, you know, I was telling you last week that I get, I usually at least get one text or email or something throughout the week telling me how horrible I am or, you know, things. And, you, and I'm not saying that for, to get pity from you. I'm just saying that if, if you have any, if you're a singer, you're on stage, you're in, you even put yourself in any kind of position that you're probably going to be criticized. And I would have quit a long time ago if I would have listened to the opinions of others. But I decided that I would listen to God's opinion, and uh, that's what I do every day. It, and it's, it's not that some of those opinions may be wrong sometimes. It's just that that's not who I am. That may be what I did. And so you have to learn to have a healthy self-esteem. And I hope that doesn't come down on you and land on you in a, a real carnal way. I don't mean it that way. But, but we ought to esteem ourselves as highly valuable because we're created in the image and likeness of God. And there's not one person watching online or one person in here. You're not an accident. You might have been told your whole life, well, we didn't mean to have you. That even, you're even more special. That means God meant to have you, and he overrode everybody else's opinion. So you're very special. And so just you have to adjust how you think. One man wrote, to age well, we must resist the relentless pull towards comfort, safety, and certainty. See, most of us, the, the pull is, I, I just, I just want to be comfortable. Well, it's great to find comfort, but um, that pull oftentimes creates a compromise because sometimes we're not comfortable. We don't find comfort. And in not finding comfort, God is trying to speak something to us, and, and that is not our pursuit. We are to comfort those because we have been comforted by him. I'm not comforted by what's going on in the world right now. I'm not comforted by all that's happening. But I am comforted by the Holy Spirit. And so I, I, I don't have to pursue it outside. I experience it inside. So today we're going to talk about the second point. First one was, I'm not enough. The second thing that's disturbing is, I don't have enough. Now, this is, uh, there's no real standard here about what it means to have enough. Uh, there are people that you might look at and say, they just don't have very much. And you're looking at a house, a car, maybe a, a, their job, their profession or vocation. And you are looking at them maybe in a little bit of a condescending way, not intentionally, but they may be the happiest people in the world and you don't know it. Because they have said, I have enough. 
And then there are other people. And, and you can't categorize and one group's not better than another. But I am saying this. You need to find out for yourself if you have enough. Because you can measure your life against someone else and you can become very insecure, maybe even bitter. I told the story many times when I first started pastoring, senior pastoring, uh, a very close friend of mine had a small business. He was a courier. And uh, that meant that he, he ran around town delivering stuff. It was like an express delivery. And uh, he was really a nice guy. Everybody liked him. He, he had just a little truck. And, and, uh, but but he, was, he, he had all the business he wanted. And I said, ask him, have you ever thought about hiring other drivers and, and getting a few other trucks and, and expanding your business? Because I thought, you know, he had favor. He, he had more work than he could actually deal with and, and more work that was waiting if he wanted it. And he told me he lived in a three-bedroom track home in a small community. And he said, you know, I'm happy. I've got two kids. I've got a wonderful wife. I've got my hobbies. He said, I start in the morning. I end at 3 o'clock every day so I can be home with my kids. What he was saying is, I have enough. I have enough. And in a world that prizes success so highly, who is truly the measurement of success? Who is that? What does that look like? Is it the person with a huge home? Is it the person with a lot of money? And, and of course, in our world, we say yes. But I would venture to say there are an incredible amount of people who are extremely successful that you might not think so, but they're happy, their life is good, and they say, I have enough. But it's disturbing when you always say, well, if I could just get this, if I just had a bigger house, if I just had a bigger car, if I, if I just had a better job, if I just made more money. And it's like putting a carrot in front of a horse. And you're constantly in pursuit of something you may never catch because our pursuit is not in things. Our pursuit is in God. So if we pursue God... The Bible says the footsteps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. So I find my peace not in what I can acquire, but accepting who has acquired me or gave his life for me. And uh, I'm not suggesting that you don't uh, pursue uh, the dreams that you have. Some people are, are going to always have more than, than we have or you have or I have. They're going to have more. And, and if you're not careful without realizing it, you will become jealous and you will become envious and you will become miserable. Now, with that said, I want you to hear this. Love or the love of God is unconditional. It just is. It, God loves everybody exactly the same. And that is just for a moment. I'm pausing, taking my time because that's hard to comprehend sometimes. That Because in our flesh, we would think that if somebody misbehaved or somebody didn't act right, that, that they're not worthy of the same love as the person who really dots all the I's, crosses the T's, very kind. And, and we look at them and say, well, they deserve to be loved. Let me just say this. None of us really actually deserve to be loved. That's called the grace of God. God loves us in spite of our humanity. So I want to lay that foundation because what I'm about to say is going to frustrate some of you. I always try my best. I'm getting older and a little better at this. 
but I'm getting ready to drop something on you that, that will land on you rather difficult if you don't open your heart. That song, I'm open, I'm open, you need to be open right now. The love of God is unconditional. The blessing of God is very conditional. You see, everybody says, I, 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 I'd like to experience more. I, maybe I'd like to possess more. Maybe you don't have enough right now. Let's just play this out for a minute. Maybe you don't have enough. So if I were to instruct you or counsel you, I would say, here are some things that you can do that opens the door to God doing more. You see, God will never do more than we want him to do. He'll never do more than we ask him to do. Because God's saying, this, this is what you're believing for? Okay. What are you going to do to get there? What are you going to do? So listen to this. In Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 and 2, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, which in the Hebrew is El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. The Hebrew word for God Almighty is El Shaddai, the God who is more than enough, more than sufficient. It means that he has power to complete promises of blessings and prosperity. Everything God does is over the top, more than enough, a surplus, superabundant, overflowing, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And now the question here is to many people, uh, then why isn't it happening to me or why isn't it happening for me? Okay? So first off, we have to understand that there are disciplines within the covenant of God that require something of us to release what God possesses. And this has been the most difficult part of my pastoral life is trying to help people understand that we must cooperate with the Word of God in order to experience the all-sufficiency of God. You cannot pray, God, bless me financially without giving and sowing and tithing. I talk to people all the time who for a long time in their life did not obey this. And then they started, and now they don't know what to do with what they're getting. Now, you can get mad at me, and I'm okay with that because I'm just old enough to not care. Because I care about you, and I care about truth. And the truth is, I've had the hardest time getting people to embrace this truth because everybody, well, God loves me. Why doesn't he? Well, yeah, God loves you. And quit asking, why doesn't he? And start saying, why don't I? Well, why don't I do what God says do in order to open heaven over my life? Because you will remain disturbed the rest of your life if you don't think you have enough. And you will get angry rather than... Stopping and submitting to God's word and God's demand or commands about how to experience not just enough, but more than enough. It all begins with that first step. 
and this is really not a financial sermon, though it, it seems to resonate most with people when they understand we all are looking at a, a world that is pretty much in recession, and many people are worried and thinking, well, what, what's going to happen? Well, if you're obeying God, I can tell you what's going to happen. God is not restricted by national or international economics. God is able to override the things that are happening in the natural by his supernatural power and by our submission and obedience to his promises. So if you think God doesn't like you because you don't have enough, it has nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with you obeying God. That gets exciting. Now, let me go to Deuteronomy 28, verse 1. Now, it shall come to pass, it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. You say, well, I don't hear his voice. This is his voice. This in here, this is the voice of God right here. You may never hear an audible voice. You might have an internal impression, and you say, well, I've never heard the voice of God. If you've read this, you've heard the voice of God. And, and so people that don't read this don't understand that this is a manual that helps you figure out what to do. Your car comes with a manual. Now it's online. The reason for that is there are buttons on your dash that you don't know what they do. And when you find out after driving it for five years, you go, why didn't I check this before? This is really cool. Yeah, if you'd have read the manual, you would have been experiencing something totally awesome that you weren't experiencing, but you didn't read the manual. Men are horrible. We get something to put it together. We throw away the instructions. Your wife's going, don't you need these? No, I got it. And there are 15 screws left over after you put it together. There's a reason for instructions and manuals to help us put things together that will stay together. That's what this is. It puts your life together so you can stay together. I was having a conversation recently with a young person, and uh, we were talking about marriage and, and, and uh, husbands and wives and this kind of thing. And I said, you know, men, the only scripture in the Bible that most men know is wives submit to your husband. They don't know God. They don't know one other thing, but they know this, woman, you need to submit. What I want to do is go, you really haven't read the Bible carefully, have you? I'd rather be a woman in this case than a man. The Bible says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and laid his life down for. Oh, no. No, no, no. I don't want to die for my wife or anybody else. I promise you there is not going to be a submission issue if you have a biblical life. Because I just shut up on that one. I never use that one anymore. I wish I'd have known that when I was younger. Life. No. And so... We've got a manual here, and it says, if 
you observe carefully all his commandments which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Cheers. So, if you're of the opinion, I don't have enough, I'm disturbed, I don't have enough. Today's instruction is the beginning of you seeing God do what you haven't seen, not because he's been ignoring you, but because you've been ignoring his manual. Wait to get mad at me another time. Don't. You see, I, I've been disturbed. I've often disturbed with in, in trying to fight that. Please do not be disturbed. And it's amazing how much people expect God to just like do something out of the blue. And and there are times God does something, but He has a real divine purpose behind it is to reveal to you or to shake you or show you a miracle that might cause you to connect with him. But God is waiting on us to walk in obedience to him. If I don't walk in forgiveness, that means I'm not going to be forgiven either. And that means that my life is a result of my choice, not God's. God said, hey, if you forgive, you'll be forgiven. That means it's conditional. And, and I love the unconditional love of God, but there's a lot of God that comes with conditions, not because he doesn't love us, because he does unconditionally, but he said, these are the things you need to do to get what you need to get, and if you don't do them, you won't appreciate them when you get them, and you'll think it's just going to come easy when God says, discipline, disciple, follow me, obey me. You cannot go around hating on people and expecting to live a joy-filled life because hate is not full of joy. And so we have to learn how to love beyond the threshold of our own pain in order to experience God who sent his son to go through his pain. Loving people can be painful. Forgiving people can be painful. Being kind to people can be painful. Especially when they've been mean to you. But we will never find the peace and joy of God without sowing peace and joy. Sowing forgiveness. We'll never get there. And so we wonder why we're disturbed. It's because we haven't had enough grace. We haven't extended enough mercy. We haven't extended enough, uh, 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 enough forgiveness to people. And, and our lives are in turmoil. There was a time that when I first got born again, the pastor had a son who was probably at that time in his late 20s. He was an entrepreneurial type guy. And he owned a small car lot on Route 66. And so I'm a new Christian, and, and I was uh, wanting to sell a car. And he said, I'll, I'll sell it for you. And I thought, this is great, pastor's son. You'll sell it for me. So he puts it on his lot. And sure enough, somebody comes along, and, and they wanted to buy it. They said, but can I, I've got this much money. Can I bring you the extra 1000 next week? Well, I, let, I trusted him. 
And uh, so next week goes by, no thousand. Next month goes by, no thousand. Now, you have to understand, $1,000 in that day for me was like $10,000. Well, long story short, I didn't get the money ever. And obviously, I still remember it. But I've forgiven. Now, I use it as a testimony of God teaching me that is that $1,000 so important to you that you would get sideways with your friend? And I realized it was just a test. I never got the money. I have no bitterness today. But I learned a lesson. Number one, don't let somebody else sell your car. Um, so so uh, anyway, I put this. So if God has more than enough and I don't seem to have enough, why is there an apparent gap in this situation? Often we think that if we don't have enough, it will cause us to think that we are not enough. That's what we go back to the first week. I'm not enough. If you don't think you have enough, then you'll think you're not enough. And in reality, you are enough. You're made in the image and likeness of God. And the only reason you may not have enough is because of disobedience. I don't like preaching this anymore than you like hearing it. Brother Osteen used to say, Joel's daddy said, but I preach the whole counsel of God. There's the whole counsel of God's not always easy. There, there are courses that I liked in school, and there were courses I didn't like. But all of those courses were designed to help me, every one of them, the ones I liked and the ones I didn't like. And the ones I didn't like often showed me something I didn't possess that after I learned, I did possess. So some of the things you don't like are some of the very things that will get you to the place you do like. That is, if you start doing them. So, ask yourself the question, do you ask? See, some people are afraid to ask God. It's like God is living on a budget. I really hate to bother God with this. I hate to ask God. God's sitting up there with his ear like this going, please talk to me. Ask me. Do we ask with faith believing? Do we get impatient and take matters into our own hands when it doesn't happen in the time frame we think it should? You see, I'm still asking God for some things this morning, even in prayer, that are 10 years past. You'd think I'd quit and the devil would love it if I did. But I'm going to annoy the Father. I have pledged to be an annoyance. I want God to look at Jesus and go, go get it done. Or Jesus the cable guy, get her done. That offend really religious people right there. But I know I'm not really annoying God, but I want to be persistent, knock, 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 keep knocking until God opens that door. Because I know that what I'm praying for is within the guidelines and perimeters of this. The Bible says, though, he said, if a thief is caught stealing, he has to pay back seven times. I don't have to go to the thief. I go to God. I say, God, here's the situation. Now, some people watching this are probably scratching their head and wondering if they're the one. Probably the same with you. 
People always wonder, were you talking about me? I don't know. I, I don't name names. I just tell God, you know, hey, here's the problem. You become Columbo. Make this thing happen. Get it done. Do we look at others who have what we want and ask why? See, because that's a sign that really your focus is horizontal, not vertical. So if I look at others and say, God, why them? That's not important. It's none of your business why them. Unless you want to go make it your business and say, help me understand what you've done to get the enough that you have. And some people, secular people, say, oh, I worked hard. And the Bible does say the hand of the diligent shall rule. So there is something to be said for working hard. But as Christians, if all I do is work hard and leave God out of it, at the end of it, that which I deem success may become my demise. I could be miserable, lose my family. I could lose all kinds of things getting to that place. And at the end of getting to that place, I realize I'm not satisfied because I really didn't include God. All I did was work hard. And so when you obey God, the work is less hard. Because you're working as unto the Lord, and you're going, this is not painful at all because I'm doing it as unto God. Are we so focused on others' blessings instead of what God wants to do for us? In other words, are you looking around at everybody else and asking that same question, why not me? Or why me? Either way. Are we asking why God is blessing them instead of asking ourselves what we need to do to grasp the more than enough? Because these are disturbing things in disturbing times when you look around and you go, what's going to happen? God does not change his word based on international issues and consequences. God does not change. In the darkest of time, the darkest of your time, God will be the light shining on your path. That is, if you stay on path and so not get off course. And sometimes we don't understand. There was a man who was a very, very good accountant. And he worked in a small town most all of his life. And he had decided one day that it wasn't enough. So he began to kind of pursue things uh, outside of that small town. Went to Houston and, and uh, had an interview there at this major, major corporation. And while he was there, he went to church. And he actually went to a friend of mine's church and and asked for prayer. He said, I'm here interviewing. He said, I've been a small-town accountant most of my life and all of my life. And he said, I, I just think I want to make a jump. And so he took it upon himself to, to apply and do all of this, and, and he felt like the interview went really well. And uh, over time, he was waiting on a call back. He finally got a call back, but the words that they spoke were not what he wanted to hear. And he said, I'm so sorry, sir, that, that at this time we just don't feel like you're a fit for the company. Well, it didn't take long when Enron collapsed for him to go, thank you, Jesus. You see, sometimes God says, it's okay to ask, it's okay to do all that, but when you put it in his hands, and this guy literally put it in God's hands after he did everything he could, and he came to the realization that, after all, it was enough. What he was doing was enough. And, and he wasn't brokenhearted. As a matter of fact, after he heard the news, obviously he wasn't brokenhearted. And sometimes we, we, we try to play God and we get ahead of God and we get impatient. And I'm not suggesting that that's necessarily what he did, but he understood that there was more to the story. Now, I'm going to get to a part of this. I'll finish it later, but 
the very first thing that we, we have to do in order to find that place is get in the right place. Position ourselves for God to do what God wants to do. So in the area of, of forgiveness, if there's somebody right now that you, you have something against, and, and when, when their name is mentioned or you think of them, uh, you get your heart rate goes up, your blood pressure increases. Let me say this right now. If you want to have a healthier life, every day begin to say, I forgive. Because if you do that, you will start experiencing different emotions and you'll have a better life. You put yourself in the right place for God to do something. But if you are constantly bitter and angry and unforgiving and talking about them, you will never know the peace of God that passes all understanding. And this is a battle, folks. I'm not, oh, that's easy. No, every day until it no longer annoys you or bothers you. Some of you will need to call people and say, you know, I, I'm not saying what you did was right. I'm not saying that, that you were right. I'm simply saying that I have not been right since what happened. And I am going to release that today. I'm going to put myself in a place for God to release his forgiveness on me. I didn't write it. He said, if you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven. That's a hard scripture. Because I think sometimes I haven't forgiven somebody. I have this emotion or something. And I need to address it. First, I need to bring it before Jesus every day until it no longer has a grip on me. Need to find your place. If it's finances, and I, people say, well, you know, I just don't have enough money. I'm in debt. I'm in da, da, da. Here's the deal. This does not sound right, but it is right. That when you start giving out of where you are right now, it will start changing everything. God bless me. God, give me more money so I can pay my bills. Well, you got there without honoring God with your finances. That's how we get to where we are. Please don't get mad at me. Just keep open about this. Because this is so absolutely important. You say, well, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. We're so behind. You start tithing, even though it sounds totally contradictory to uh, financial consultants, if you explain to them, I must give and tithe even if it costs me everything, and it will not cost you everything. Because you are putting yourself in a position to obey God. You think, well, what I give is not much. It's not about that. It's about your obedience to give what he said give. Nobody's looking at you. Nobody, you, nobody has a right to ask you that. This is between you and God. If you want to put yourself in a position to be forgiven, forgive. If you want to put yourself in a, a position to be blessed financially, give. Otherwise, you're going to live a disturbed life your whole life. When you, when you wrestle within yourself and, and you know you're disobedient, you can pray until you're blue in the face and your emotions are not going to change because God's saying, I care about you so much that I want you to learn how to obey so I can release heaven on you. I'll close with this. I, I, I've always been a sports fan, and I've always respected 
coaches. Most people respect a quarterback, a wide receiver, the speed, the team. But when I'm watching sports, I'm thinking about the coach. Because think about this for a moment. He's dealing with more egos than you and I will ever know. These are the most egotistical people on planet Earth. They're very great. They're platformed. They're on television. And here's a coach over on the sidelines getting absolutely no credit by most people. In reality, he is the one that's helping them succeed. And so John Wooden, the great John Wooden, UCLA coach, still holds so many records. I mean, I think, I think they won like 12 national championships. Unheard of. I, seven in a row. Something ridiculous. And I heard this story. I'm not sure it's true, but I think it is. I've done some research. And John Wooden would get all the best athletes across from across America. Get all the best. I mean, everybody wanted to play for UCLA back in the day. But what John Wooden did that most people didn't do and most coaches didn't do was this. Even though John Wooden knew he was getting star athletes, he took it right back to the basics. They would, he'd come in the locker room. He would say, now, I want to teach you to tie your shoes. These are the best of the best. But he said, the basics are what, what's going to make you great. You already have athletic skills. But now I need to teach you some things. I'm going to teach you how to tie your shoe. And then, after he taught him how to tie their shoes, because it was important. Just think about it. Your shoe comes untied. You're going in for a layup. You trip. The buzzer, and you lose. That's how important it was to him. He said, every little detail counts. And let me say this to you. Every little detail in Christianity counts. This is not this broad thing. The Bible, 66 books. If God would have just given us like a little pamphlet, it would have been great. But he said, there are a lot of details that get you from where you are to where you want to be. So then John Wooden would take them up on the court, and he had scouted them. They had been scouted and vetted, and that he knew where they were at their best. And he would take each one of them out on the floor. The whole, the whole team would be there. He'd say, right, come here. He'd say, now, when, when I put you in to play, this is where you're going to shoot from. You're not going to shoot from anywhere else but here. Otherwise, I mean, other than a layup or some fast break, you're going to shoot from right here because this is where your highest percentage is. He built a great team because he put them in the right place. He put them in a place where he knew they could succeed and excel. God wants to put us in the place where he knows we can best succeed and excel. I'm in Oklahoma City because this is my spot. This is where I can best excel. I am an Oki. I am an Oki. I will always be an Oki. I speak Oki. Every now and then I speak Hokey. And so... We all need to find that place. And when you get happy, see, the devil loves to make you unhappy in your power spot. He loves to make you unhappy in your place. If I can get you unhappy and disturbed in your place, you'll move from your place, you'll get impatient, and that's where God wants to bless you. So if he can distract you, disturb you, and you say, I've had enough, I've been here long enough, I ain't staying here another minute, and it was the next minute you were getting ready to get blessed, but you got impatient and left your place. 
People do it in churches all the time. Well, I didn't like what pastor said today. Well, you won't like what the next one says in a month or so. If he's preaching any truth at all, you ain't going to like it. So you'll be, you'll be a church dancer dancing with the stars. Because sometimes the thing that we don't want to hear is the thing we need to hear to get us from here to there. Yeah, that doesn't come with a lot of excitement. No, this is, you, you ain't, I ain't even near finished, but I won't finish today, but I ain't even near finished with this. You don't want to even try to come back for a while. Because I'm going to mess with you for the next few weeks here. Me and Jesse going to get in your business. Listen, I believe in you. I believe in you too much to sugarcoat truth so that you can go on. Well, God just wants to bless you. Yeah, he wants to bless you. But what do you want to do to access that blessing? You can't go around, keep on going around hating people and experience love. You can't go around and do that. You can have your convictions. You can have, and that's great. But the reality is there are some basic truths here that will get you from where you are to where you want to be. All right, we're going to pray. I'll get in trouble if I say any more. Jesus, help us. Help us to find that place that you've put us in and help us to be obedient. May we be reminded it's obedience. The willing and obedient shall eat the good of the land. Help us, Lord. With every head bowed, every eye closed, no one moving around, and those of you watching online, pause just for a moment. See, you can leave your place. You're in a hurry. You've got to get somewhere else. i got to go. And sometimes God's saying, just be still and know that I'm God. Just be still right now. Stop what you're doing. Stop what you're thinking and be still. It's a critical moment, especially for those of you who are looking to say, I, I, I'm not getting enough out of life. You're not saved. You've not given your life to God. And as a result, you're not getting what God has for you. It's not that God's withholding. God's waiting on you to turn and invite him into your crisis, into your need, into your fear, into whatever it is you're going through, God is waiting. So don't make him wait any longer. I want all of us to pray this prayer together. Pray this with me. Say, Father God, thank you so much for loving me so much that you gave your only son to die on the cross for my sin. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. Today, I give my life to you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now, listen, if you prayed that prayer, I want to ask you to do two things if you're in-house, one thing if you're at home. Text the word SAVE to 405-500-1310 right now. Don't wait. It's a step, the very first step in you acknowledging, I've given my life to Jesus. It will lift you. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Crow. I just want to take a quick moment to thank you for joining us online. We hope you have a blessed week this week and get to be a blessing to those around you. I want to invite you to join us at Mosaic Church OKC next week at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. or join us online. God bless you.